another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey, and I'm joined by real good dude here uh, who uh, is a reporter, um, activist. Uh, he's involved in mental health and drug-related news. Um, he's also pushed for, was it uh, STEM programs? Yes, big, big on STEM. Big on STEM. Education reform in general. And uh, he's also a local music enthusiast. I've seen him at uh, hardcore shows before. And uh, I'm excited to get to know him, talk about what he does and why he does it. Thank you very much, Ali Shana, for joining me today. Yes, Ben, Mr. Nice Guy, man. Good to see you. Yeah, dude, this is really cool. It's a really cool way to start 2023. I'm so used to interviewing people. We talked a little bit about Uh, that off air. Yeah. Uh, um, because my background is in journalism, mm-hmm. um, so may ramble a little bit because I'm not used to being yeah, interviewed. Yeah. But uh, uh, this is really cool, man. I'm I'm a fan of the show. So. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, and uh, I also really appreciate um, fellow Gonzo journalists mm. uh, because that's crucial um, in this age as we're in a rapidly changing uh, and shifting social and political dynamic um i mean largely because of the role of how fast information travels these days right but there's a lot of stories to be told and they need to be told from the lens of humanity and not what makes profit um but before we get into that ali tell me how's your day how's your day going my day has been phenomenal good my only complaint is uh i i can't open up the blinds and be woken up with sun that's the Mm. only thing like when you think of how a great day starts oh yeah man how was my day i woke up um so i currently work for the department of public instruction sure and um i'm basically involved in education reform so Mm -hmm. we implement scholarship programs to uh whoever is considered disadvantaged by the state Mm -hmm. so um whether that be a rural resident or someone from the inner city um we try to recruit kids and improve post-secondary education outcomes aka anything that happens after high school right right? yeah so whether that be FAFSA, uh, a scholarship itself, um, landing you an internship, mm-hmm. and then along the way, um, having been a special education uh, teacher, I, I also provide tutoring, and um, we do grade monitoring, you know, keep them on the straight and narrow, mm-hmm. and so uh, I feel like when you work with the youth every day's Every day is pretty good, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm a big fan of the kiddos, um, mm-hmm. so I did that, and uh, this is my first time in a long time where I'm not enrolled in school. Just oh, finished sure. my master's in educational psychology. Congratulations! Yes, sir. Thank yeah. you, Ben. So I got to take a little nap before I got here. Good. So day's going great. That sounds like a pretty rock solid day, my friend. Yeah. So. Ali, what we do, what we talk about on Mr. Nice Guy, we talk love and fear, passion and creativity. And so I, I, I know you through the internet. Like I meet a lot of people these days uh, and get in touch with them and their work. Um, but we, we formally met. Uh, it was at a it was at a show at X-Ray Arcade. Yeah. Uh, like last year, I think it might have been. Uh, was it Ener- was that Enervate? 
and reality check? Yeah, it, it would have to be uh, definitely reality check playing or Wits End's final show. I'm not sure which one it was. It was. It would have been reality check. Yeah. Then. So it was. Yeah. Yeah. X Ray. Yeah. Yeah. And I I had followed you on Twitter for a while. Yeah. Recognized the beard and everything. <laughs> um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. But I was. You were like. You're like. You're into hardcore music too, and I'm like trying to be more into it you know <laughs> i i had a lot of friends in college that were really into um more heavy music like metal and punk and stuff like that and that kind of eventually got me you know more uh in tune tapped into uh that kind of stuff and so and now uh uh, covering Milwaukee music, you know, there's a lot of hardcore metal bands and oh yeah, T- yeah, T- tons of uh, hardcore music in the Midwest too. Yeah, and, and, and that's really exciting. Hell yeah, yeah. So uh, I was, but I was stoked to meet you in person that day uh, because <laughs> I, too. you know, like, but yeah, I, I also uh, have seen, have been seeing a lot of the reporting and activism work that you've also been doing. In the last year, and we're going to talk all about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. But first, let's take it back, and I want to like kind of just get to hear, get to know some basics about you first. So, for one, um, are you from Milwaukee? Uh, I was born and raised in Franklin, Wisconsin. Have you okay. heard of Franklin? I have. Yeah, it's a yeah. little suburb. Um, and then I went to school over here at UW Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, bachelor's degree in journalism Mm -hmm. just got my master's in educational psychology Hmm. uh, with a concentration in clinical mental health counseling thus the interest in mental health i was a a, a practicing therapist so you know still under supervision uh, Mm -hmm. but did that for uh, a few years as well and um i am palestinian but i was born in franklin um both of my parents uh, were immigrants from the Middle East. Um, my father passed away, but uh, uh, my um, my interest and in roots in the Middle East uh, kind of informed my politics later in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but going into like moving into Milwaukee, I was not a very political guy at all. Sure. <laughs> I yeah. was a journalist, but I just wanted to write about like rap shows and hardcore shows and stuff like that yeah yeah i hear you um well thank you for sharing all of that Mm -hmm. um wait you did you say your bachelor's was in journalism yep yep okay uh, jams yeah i was a jams kid too (laughs) and i had my minor in communications which um dude so did i really what the fuck (laughs) yeah Yeah. it sounded like a word like like project management like something Uh, yeah you know it sounds good on a resume you know Mm. Yeah, no, that's fun. That is funny. Yeah, I double minored in communication and psychology. Um, hey. So we have a lot of similar interests. Yeah, it sounds absolutely, like absolutely, absolutely. I yeah, similar to you. I I'm from Illinois. I grew up in the South Chicago suburbs. Uh, came up here for school at UWM, and I also was not a very political guy when I uh, moved here. Um, over the years of like meeting a lot of people in Milwaukee that grew up in Milwaukee, grew up in MPS, um, also coinciding with like, you know, uh, the, the 
Trump cycle and everything like that. Like you kind of have no choice but to become political Mm -hmm. uh, as you get older and meet a lot of people um, who grew up with different in different material conditions. I wanted to go into hard news at first, but then I had a couple internships, didn't really enjoy them that much. And I wanted to go more of like the music journalism entertainment route. Uh, you have more, I, I like the creative control mm. of, of music journalism. Yeah. You have, you have a lot of agency for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so uh, how did you get started with journalism? Like what was your, like your first, like uh, what was kind of your inception into the field? Yeah, it's funny. So, uh, like I said, I'm 25 now. So, uh, I I started UWM in journalism uh, when I was 18. Mm-hmm. It sounds so silly, but are you familiar with ASAP Mob? Yeah. Yeah, uh, ASAP Yams, the founder, mm-hmm. was uh, a big on Tumblr, and was that's kind of a crucial thing to how he formed his uh, his music group, but. Through that, I just became obsessed with, um, you know, uh, like like old magazines covering like old rap albums and stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Um, yeah. And so I kind of made a split decision to do journalism because I thought, hey, I could write about music. But um, inshallah, I've always been, you know, really talented in writing. Uh, so those two things kind of coincided. And I, I really just wanted to buy myself some time. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, yeah. Um, yeah. That, so it, it started with uh, soft news um, and then would quickly become hard news. Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as I graduated, some things happened and um, I'm very grateful for it. And uh, uh, now I do reporting on uh, drug and mental health related news. Mm hmm. Um, I would report more about politics, but I'm so engulfed in politics already yeah. that it's nice to narrow it down to those two uh, political, but not inherently political topics. I hear you. Yeah. It's good to like wear several different hats with, right. with journalism because when you're like a left journalist, a lot you it, – it can be very emotionally – challenging and taxing journalism to be doing right and uh you know it it feels good to kind of balance it out with more um positive optimistic uh status quo challenging maybe i want to say soft-hearted because a lot there's a lot of emotion that goes into music too obviously but like just um something that's a lot more easily digestible Absolutely, man. And, you know, you use the term gonzo journalism, uh, which, is, which is a term I haven't heard since I was a journalism student. That's <laughs> yeah. a, a really cool name. I, I've always, uh, I currently really gravitate towards what they call uh, watchdog journalism. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, sure. just uh, sort of reporting on corruption. Mm. Um, uh, and there is quite a lot of corruption when we look at. Uh, what's causing mental health crisis mm-hmm. and what's causing uh, uh, a lot of pain and suffering where drugs are present um, and yep. also a lot of suppression of freedom and liberty where drug policy is present. And, um, you know, I, I, I love 
writing about that stuff. Uh, it doesn't pay the bills, you know. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, you know, I took a different route to to pay rent, and <laughs> yeah. ultimately, I would Same. like to be like a professor and everything. Yeah. But I don't think I'll ever shut up about drugs and mental health. Uh, the two things fascinate me beyond mm-hmm. belief. Hey, as you shouldn't, right. you know. Um, and that's that's key is uh, is to keep you know journalists fighting the good fight through words and storytelling nomenclature. Mm-hmm. It's an art. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Be- Becoming a journalist has also made the thesaurus like my best friend, you know. Right, right. <laughs> and it's and it's cool, man, because you really are a local journalist at a time where local journalism is uh, under huge threats. Mm, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, we know the Journal Sentinel was bought out by USA Today. Still subscribers, still great reporters there. Yeah, but um, you know, we are one of the few states that really didn't get our local newspapers just absolutely bought out and. And that's that, mm, you know. Yeah, uh, I, th- I feel like a lot of people don't have much information on, let's just say, local elections. You know, you know that sense of belonging and community that comes from local journalism, as everything becomes nationalized. And um, some of my stories are more. Oh, I see your cat. <laughs> yeah. Some are, some of my stories are uh, not local. Some are very local. But you truly are uh, covering Milwaukee. I sure. Mean, the music journalism thing sort of shifted uh, after I had a stint with addiction and um, then I had an internship in California uh, where I no longer had access to, to my vices mm-hmm. and so I had no for uh, no choice but to get out of that and um, it was like suddenly I regained all my senses again and so I was and you could you probably have a sense of curiosity innate in you too being a journalist mm-hmm. but, um, mm-hmm. I just felt like that was so much more sharpened uh, after coming out of that um, yeah like that, a urge to question things absolutely yeah. and um, and so I started uh, interviewing um, like behavioral clinics uh, and I interviewed a ketamine clinic in Milwaukee okay and, uh, sure I always had an interest in drugs and stuff. And so those were my first few stories that were not music journalism. And then uh, I took it a step further, started writing for the Psychiatric Times, Mm. um, which is mostly read by people within like psychiatric healthcare, behavioral healthcare and whatnot. But I got to write about like uh, mental health parity um, and legislation and stuff like that. And, you know, again, everything started pushing me into a more political macro. It always does. Yeah. 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 And um, at a certain point, I I had no interest in writing about music anymore. And I said, "Okay, can I pay the bills with journalism? I personally couldn't. I think it takes someone with uh, uh, more skills in media in general. Mm. Like, you you know, it still doesn't pay the bills for me either. <laughs> for sure. For you know, sure. but, but I, I ended up going back uh, to, to school to get my master's degree and um, thought I wanted to be a therapist, but I um, ended up doing educational psychology because I also thought, okay, this way, 
if I'm not cut out to be a therapist, I could be a school counselor mm-hmm. and then still study clinical mental health. And it all kind of worked out because uh, education reform is today my top priority as far as political priorities go. For sure. Yeah. Right on. Well, Red, dude. Uh, yeah. Thank you uh, for you know, given the timeline and the chronology and whatnot. Oh yes. As journalists, we, we like to establish those timelines. Got to do the play by plays. Yes, sir. When you were interviewing the ketamine clinic, what were the things you were trying to find out at the time? Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, this is, uh, it's called ketamine Milwaukee straight up. Okay. Um, it's actually been years. So by now, uh, hopefully not, they may be defunct, but, um, I wanted to understand two things, right? How ketamine was useful for those with depression who had no luck with traditional, um, you know, uh, uh, treatments for depression. So for most, if, if folks don't know, that's talk therapy, antidepressants, or a combination of talk therapy and mm-hmm. antidepressants. Yeah. Um, if that was the answer we would have solved depression a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So ketamine uh, in those controlled settings uh, seems to be helping people who have treatment-resistant depression. So I wanted to learn more about that. Um, But then I also wanted to learn the logistics of like, like, so are we talking about an IV? Are we talking about, um, you know, Mm -hmm. a mask where you would inhale it yeah um, how it's administered right because yeah. i i highly doubted that it would be like taking a bump off of a tray right. or something yeah. you know yeah um and i i came to uh understand that it was very unaffordable unfortunately mm-hmm. i don't in, insurance doesn't like to touch uh you know things like uh ketamine uh insurance is also very late to medical cannabis, um, which in different states people use for uh, treatment-resistant depression. Mm-hmm. So just wanted to get a lay of the land of yeah. ketamine therapy. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, you're right about, uh, I'm, like, I'm glad you brought up the point about um, how when we talk about treatment resistant depression, like, yeah, you know, talk therapy, medication, those can go a long way. But when we're talking about, and I see dial discourse about this on Twitter all the time is Mm -hmm. when we talk about, um, the framework of which, what cause, what, what our root causes or highly contributing factors in suffering, we have to look at well, what are the material conditions that these people are living under? Were they, you know, born into poverty um, with uh, no access to proper health care services, proper education, um, proper job opportunities, food security, um, ability to um, utilize public transit, um, all of these things are interconnected. And if you don't look at, well, if these are, if there's a, a, a heavy correlation with um, material conditions of folks that are struggling with, with various uh, mental health issues and, you know, 
how they were raised, the environments that they were raised in, the um, the the, di- the family dynamic they were raised with, all these different factors, uh, the trauma they were exposed to. Uh, what does that tell you? It tells you that the system is contributing, uh, or at the very least, um, not making it any easier for folks to uh, uh, properly treat um, their issues. And you also touched on insurance. And yeah, yeah. so I, <laughs> you know, um, I I agree with everything you just said. And um, you know, let's say we took the uh, the medication aspect out of it. Someone mm-hmm. just wanted to talk to a therapist. Well, there is time that goes into that. Are yeah. you a single parent? Are you booked full time? There's energy, you know, shout out to everybody who's taking care of themselves mm-hmm. through yoga and exercise, uh, healthy food, but those things in, right. in themselves, uh, uh, take time to learn about, uh, how to eat better. Um, yeah. And it's not always accessible either. Not accessible. And, and, and if you're drained, you know, say you're raising a kid and you work 40 hours a week at a job that you're not, uh, thrilled about, you know, mm. and you're, there's no union. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into that at some point. Yes. But, um, you know, you, you know, the idea of like, Hmm, I should, uh, hire a babysitter and start doing yoga classes or, or take up childcare so I could just take, you know, get a gym membership. Um, mm-hmm. those things are hard. So when we think about therapy, it's for a lot of people, um, just so out, out of reach, that actually become stigmatized yeah. and that those in poverty. And I, and I mean that across the board, whether you come from uh, rural Wisconsin or the inner city, you know, yeah. uh, there, there can be a stigma for those who want to talk with a therapist and, uh, yeah. and my reporting. Um, so I talked about the ketamine therapy being even more out of reach than talk therapy. Um, unfortunately, one of the most exciting developments in therapy, Ben, is psychedelic therapy? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, this is an, and I'll just be brief with it. This is when psychedelics are used as an adjunct to talk therapy. So um, it's not that the drug itself just provides the aha moment, but the drug helps facilitate the aha moment or uh, uh, reprocessing of traumatic memories, whatever yeah. it may be. Configuring different neural pathways in the brain. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've watched Fantastic Fun Guy. Yes, man. Fantastic documentary. Fantastic documentary. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to say that stuff is, um, my biggest fear is that that is just going to become incredibly, incredibly expensive. Yeah. 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 I'm glad you brought that up, though, because um, that's also another like you said, crucial development in the uh, therapy and medicinal uh, world. Um, And unfortunately, what the documentary also touches on is that, you know, this research into psilocybin and other psychedelic um, agents is that this research was highly criminalized, Mm -hmm. uh, outlawed even, um, thanks to the war on drugs. Uh, I believe in like the 1970s, you know, yeah. like it, the war on drugs greatly uh, uh, suppressed a lot of this research from gaining actual traction and practicality. Yeah. And uh, it's slowly, you know, picking back up, but obviously 
it's almost like you know it's it's like when we hear about therapeutic benefits of psychedelics right. a lot of it's in these you know medical journals it's it's always still in, from like an experimental framework mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know what's actually practical um for widespread implementation you also touched on like the, the a lot of those holistic uh you know spiritual uh strategies to to therapy and yeah those can help but those are also often designed to treat symptoms and not causes yes when you culminate all of these different uh notions it's it becomes very clear that this that treating mental health is being assessed through a strictly neoliberal framework, you know? And so when people always talk about mental health advocacy, I almost kind of uh, side-eye that, 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 that phrase because a lot of us are very well aware of, of the effects that mental health has in our life, right? Right. But and a lot, but it's not as simple as saying, "Oh, well, go get a therapist or get on medication." Um, you know, some people can't afford therapists. Mm-hmm. Some people can't afford medication. Some people saw a psychiatrist once and they got thrown medication that ended up fucking them up even worse. That that's right. Yeah, you can you can really run the gamut and have a terrible experience in behavioral health care. Yeah. yeah, and so I don't, I'm not really interested in hearing about mental health advocacy unless it's unless it's discussing the the material conditions that have actually caused this widespread crisis of mental health in the first place. Um, yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, uh, the uh, the idea of mental health awareness, right? And you were saying like mental health advocacy uh it is um one it can it can be like a sort of like roll your eyes thing like yeah i'm aware that i'm unhealthy mm-hmm. you know thanks for recognizing me. right yeah but two it's been weaponized uh largely by monopolies that say like you know we're not going to treat you well but like we really encourage you to download this mindfulness app yes you know or have you um, used headspace yeah, before? <laughs> yeah, right exactly. yeah exactly and yeah. um you know, the mainstreaming of psychedelic therapy obviously comes from that side of therapy that's more meditative and focused on mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, right? But it also comes from the wealthy people who can afford to to study yeah. a scheduled substance. Right, yeah. that, that comes with privilege. Uh, and, and I mean that with like literal privilege, like access to, yeah. to scheduled yeah. drugs. Um, you. Most of these guys come from us uh, Ivy schools, mm-hmm. and then it's it's a heavily funded before it's even on the shelves by venture capitalists who maybe made money in uh, in medical cannabis, you know. And so you mentioned psilocybin, one of the greatest creations on Mother Earth. Uh, that is not even open, you know, decriminalized for the public, and yet we have companies sort of having IP wars over who's going to make it a right. therapy adjunct. And um, so when people talk about mental health awareness, whether we're talking about solutions in a uh, medication sense or in a therapy sense, um, a lot of times it's a branding move. 
Yeah, yeah. More than it is a. Uh, uh, it's it, it, it's a, it's it's ignoring those. Problems. Yeah, yeah, and it might come from with good intentions when people want to talk about good it. Because I definitely, uh, uh, you know, was um, involved that in that. It, to some degree in in college while I was, you know, had already begun embarking on my own mental health journey and was navigating therapy and medication and whatnot. But, right, and, it, and it's nice from your fellow peers. Right. It's, it's good to know that people are, like, at least, you know, um, identifying mm -hmm. uh, that it is something that affects us on um, both a, a personal and community scale. Like after a while, you recognize you 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 become aware. Like you you become um, humbled pretty quickly in that sort of advocacy when you are you know tabling at your local college uh, <laughs> on your on campus. You're tabling for your mental health organization, and you start saying things like, "Oh yeah, like we you know we think that there's nothing wrong with going to therapy." And uh, the person looks at you and says, are you going to pay for my therapist? <laughs> and then you're like, you, you don't, you aren't equipped to, to respond to that. And then you just kind of like, you know, take a step back and look objectively at like, what is the, uh, the impasse here mm -hmm. is that a lot of people just also can't afford these treatment methods mm -hmm. uh even if they wanted so bad to mm -hmm. um and so circling back to your journey and with all this and how it you know uh became you know uh a professional and and academic pursuit of yours when you moved back to milwaukee um y you know you were, you're working on your masters so like i guess uh what were some of the first things you got involved with uh, or questions you started to ask when you returned to Milwaukee. Yeah, man. So uh, when I returned for my master's, um, and I guess I had, had never really left because I, I moved out and had stayed moved out. Sure. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, when I came back to UW-Milwaukee to, to study psychology, um, it was during COVID. And mm. so, so many of my classes were online and, um, I really thrive in school and I, you know, I got straight A's as throughout my entire graduate experience. Right I Dude. will flex that, you know, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, huge nerd here. There you but, go. Um, I felt kind of robbed of a, a proper education experience. I'm the type of guy who likes to talk to the professor. I want to be a professor. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said though. Uh, one of the first things I noticed is that COVID itself was causing a lot of mental health crisis mm -hmm. among my fellow students. Um, as COVID precautions lessened, I got to start working with uh, folks in mental health crisis, guided by a fully licensed and well-vetted uh, supervisor at different sites. And, um, you know, I worked with some different demographics, but... Given that I had started working as a special education assistant at Milwaukee College Prep on uh, Lloyd Street in the north side, it's an elementary school, um, 
I was really, really interested in the intersection of uh, education difficulties and mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to work with the youth. And I, um, this is when everything started to click. Uh, I started really thinking about, um, you know, mental health is a crisis throughout America, but what if we help them while they're young? Yeah. You know? And yeah. Uh, these kiddos that I was working with, uh, they had problems at home. You know, some of them mm. were more, more court ordered therapy, but the common thread is in my specific situation, they were robbed of a year thanks to COVID. Mm -hmm. um, you know, school is, is a huge part of your life when you're a kid. It's yeah. half your day, it's hot meals, it's, it's, and it's more than just learning uh, science and math and reading. You learn not to. You learn how to to be nice to others and how yeah. to socialize. How to share. Great point. How to share. You know, and these are uh, lessons that are happening at ages where your brain is still developing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say, look for anyone listening. Like, if you missed out on something as a child, therapy is really good at, at helping you learn some of the things that uh, were robbed of you or, mm -hmm. or or that were suppressed, but. It's still uh, on a mass scale when you have all these kids uh, uniquely put into this situation where uh, at a developmental crucial age, they were taken out of the education system. Um, I became very concerned about K through 12 education. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that special education is where a lot of uh, this mental health crisis would manifest because mm. if someone has behavioral issues that's that's enough to be ad administered into special ed mm -hmm. and so i worked with a lot of young boys predominantly um which you know you don't pick who your clients are when you're a therapist in training but i just so happened to work with mostly young men and um yeah that became my whole mo is how do we fix uh mental health crisis and education for kiddos yeah wow yeah children and mental health is uh an, another layer that is often not even tapped into is you know how it uh manifests um in these crucial developmental stages as you said because when you're a kid you're just so dependent you know you're dependent you're you're helpless you're vulnerable you are easily impressionable and when the exact environments that are supposed to shape you and nurture you are threatening you, mm. then what, um, where do you have to run to? You know, it's that's it's hard. Uniquely, I will say screwed. I was going to say the F word, but it is uniquely, you can you can curse on here right, if you want it is to. Uniquely fucked up because these kids, you know, obviously they're kids, but they. They can't pay for anything because they're kids. So we were talking about how therapy can be uh, uh, out of reach and yeah. not accessible. These kids don't have a car, you know. Right. And and I worked with young adolescents too, um, so it, it's not you know always kids who are so young that they can't drive or can't get a job. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, trying to to help their problems. Uh, is even harder because it involves 
some sort of adult intervention before the therapist even gets there. The mm-hmm. adult sort of has to put that in place. And so, um, yeah. although I did not get a degree in social work, a lot of what I did, I you know, I it was therapy, but I, I worked with a lot of social workers and a lot of like uh, uh, child services, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so though that that whole world of mental health crisis, when we talk about younger kids, kind of smears uh, with social work and yeah. um, and stuff like that. Understandably, right. definitely would. Um, yeah, and so that said, um, how did you notice as you were working with these kids, as you were? making all these observations about, you know, how they're adapting to their environment or, 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 or not adapting to their environment. How did you feel, uh, your slant, um, in your work start becoming more political? How did you start kind of feeling that? Yes, man. Uh, so you, all three semesters where I was, uh, a clinical mental health counselor in training, um, I, I also was working as a special education assistant and a big part of working with SPED is, is managing feelings and stuff as well. Um, I noticed that even though we ended with measurable success, right, in therapy and in special education, you set up these uh, short-term, realistic, measurable goals. And mm-hmm. when those goals are met, you keep going, you inform the parents, you know, and you feel good about it. But I started realizing like the things that were outside of our control in the therapeutic dynamic or teacher student dynamic, uh, they'll be there as I'm gone, yeah. uh, after school, mm-hmm. uh, as they grow up and it's been here and it really, uh, it made me want to get involved in changing things, uh, through through systematic reform, which I I think I became a policy wonk, uh, just like looking at. So you know, I'm only two years younger than you. Um, people like Bernie were the first times I saw public policy proposals being talked about that would address yeah. uh, poverty, education issues, mental health crisis. I was like. He's he's on it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and especially also as someone of his age speaking on the point. main stage about that, you know, I thought also impacted a lot of masses because it recognizes that like someone who's just because you're older in generation doesn't mean that you like have to. It, it's not an excuse to abide by these uh, antiquated. Uh, policies and solutions to large-scale social issues. That is such a good point, Ben, because we all know that uh, boomers and older, <laughs> they, they the, those policymakers uh, really uh, screwed over this generation. Right, and, and yeah. Ma- and, and, and this generation younger than us is... They is, continue to. Yeah, you know, but yeah, Bernie, Bernie was not like that. And so uh, just to answer your question directly... Um, started doing like light canvassing and stuff but mm-hmm. it was during covid so it didn't feel real yeah um, yeah i started listening to oh, oh. shirt want to hold this for me oh, real yeah, quick sure. 
Breaking Points with the Crystal. Breaking Points podcast. Yes, with Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty. Uh, this was um, two people who were focused on working class issues. Um, one host, Crystal Ball, uh, comes from the left um, and was sort of kicked out of that neoliberal space and became uh, more of a progressive. And then the other host actually comes from the right. He was a White House correspondent uh, during the Trump years, and he realized that the light populist rhetoric that uh, Trump talked about, um, you know, obviously it was all baloney, but the light reforms about actually helping uh, the working class, um, he quickly realized that, that he, that Trump was not acting in that way. And so he got shunned out of that world. And so while they still had disagreements on some issues here and there, they were both uh, very pro-working class and pro-working class reforms. So uh, I started becoming more political because, one, Abu Bernie, Bernie Sanders, mm -hmm. and uh, two, listening to Breaking Points. That really, uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's some of the best news analysis I've uh, ever gotten. I really do, and I, I think it's because I have uh, that empathy as a journalist. I really am patient with people who have different politics than me. Sure, um, yeah. And, you know, I know people who are uh, more to the left than I am, and they, uh, they, they don't have the patience to talk to people who are on the right, and that's absolutely fine, you know? But me personally, I'm uh, I'm quite able, I'm quite equipped to talk to people on the right and, and poke the brain a little bit. And, um, usually I, it, it seems that like deep down they, they care about working class reform too, unless they're, uh, very rich or something <laughs> or, or motivated yeah. by some strong social incentives. But, um, Call me naive. A lot of my friends do on the left, but I do think that if you're in the working class, right or left, um, you know, there you should be a part of the conversation. Uh, I am completely against the polarization of um, that comes with partisanship in America. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that people can't be incredibly frustrating. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, I this this show really helped me see that. You know, let's put it this way. The elite's worst fear is that we uh, put aside our cultural differences mm -hmm. and unite as a working class. Well, that's exactly kind of what I was uh, thinking as you were saying all of this. Like, you're because you're right, like about the working class uniting. And that's what a lot of these... Um, these organizations um, that are, uh, you know, often very far left, uh, right. that often operate from a socialist perspective, are trying to do outreach and activism in their communities um, and uh, talk about what we all collectively have uh, in, uh, in common here, which is that we're all poor, exploited workers, that we'd have little to no leverage in the workplace, mm -hmm. uh, little to no capital, 
Um, we have like, even if somebody grew up in a small town and might've never met a person of color in their life, and they might've grown up, uh, conservative their whole lives, they might still, you know, it might just be a matter of just opening the door and saying, Hey, what are the biggest issues you have in your workplace or in your, you know, there there you go. Those structural issues. It's like, what really bothers you? Like, what would you like to see? And it's like, well, I'd like to be able to, to afford uh, rent or or take care of my kids. And then that right there can make them realize or, or make them realize, even though, you know, they might not like the word socialist as at first or the left or whatever. They might not like that term at first. But when you put this from a, a class consciousness perspective, mm. it helps unite the working class. Right. And uh, it's crucial to do. Um, it's it's uncomfortable work for sure. Right. You got to meet people where they're at sometimes, uh, you know, and also a lot of older folks are pretty stuck in their ways. Right. Um, they're just so used to the way that they've worked their whole lives. I mean, I know a lot of people, my parents age who are like that, but, yeah. but you know, what's important though, is that young people are empowered. That's a great point. You know, mm-hmm. young people are the future, obviously and young people. It's in the young people's hands to like enact, um, you know, the future that they want to see and fight with revolutionary optimism. So I think it's, you know, like older generations might think what they're going to think, but you know, or, or whatever. But like, I think that speaking to young people is so crucial right now. And so, yeah. Yes, Ben, I completely agree, man. I, you know, people have to remember that, these older politicians are literally going to die. Mm. And mm. so, yeah, you're still going to have young people within those families who go into politics that come from McKinsey or, you know, some corporation. You're going to have your Lauren Boberts, Right. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On the other end, you're going to have uh, uh, people who are, you know, pie in the sky, strange conspiracy. With this younger crowd entering politics... Uh, and becoming policymakers or activists, community leaders, you know, like I do think that uh, uh, ties to corporate lobbyism will be more questioned because I'm only 25 and I saw Bernie Sanders as someone who made it to the presidential arena uh, without those corporate ties, you know, and so I can only imagine what inspiring figures people you know, folks younger than me are going to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and I, uh, I've always been an optimist and I think that's helped me, uh, uh, work in politics and work with those with like even the heaviest diagnoses, you know, PTSD or, uh, a kid who doesn't know any better, like, you know, kicking you and stuff. Conduct disorder. Conduct yeah. disorder. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I've always been an optimist and uh, I, I do think I do think neoliberalism is on its way out and I yeah. have small markers even with Joe Biden that's pointing in that direction. Yeah, I mean, you got to celebrate small victories even when they even if they're small, they're worth mm-hmm. celebrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
South Carolina just encoded abortion. Yeah. Um, which was great. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, or, or hear your perspective about is when we're talking about, you know, drug related news and, mm. um, you mentioned corporate lobbyists. Yeah. Uh, we got to talk about the pharmaceutical industry, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, you know, the Sacklers, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I still got to watch that new documentary. Um, Dope Sick. Uh, was that the one that came out like this past year? Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's quite good. Yeah, I got to yeah. see that still. But but yeah, um, I think that also ties into sort of the, the neoliberal uh, approach to solving mental health as well mm-hmm. is like, these pharmaceutical companies that want to make money and right. they look at struggling folks who come into their psychiat- psychiatrist's office seeking help. Mm-hmm. Well, what is a way that might work, might not work, that is going to make the pharmaceutical company money regardless? Mm-hmm. Medication. Highly addictive medication, right? Mm-hmm. Um we're talking Oxycontin, mm. uh, we're talking Xanax, mm. uh, opioids. That's become just such a profitable industry uh, with so much influence um, on the solution to mental health that, I mean, that's a, that's a fucking, it's just a, it's just a catastrophe. Yeah, and you said you want to hear my thoughts. I have many on them. Uh, so... You know, the neoliberal approach in general, and and you can weigh in on this too, I think, is to let markets be a part of the solution. Right. Right. The free market. and Yeah. 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 And so in this case, uh, let markets be a part of the mental health crisis solution. Um, I see one of the major problems within that is that not only is it um, someone with a profit incentive, trying to help a vulnerable demographic, but we also see vertical and horizontal uh, um, integration. And so we will have like the merger of Bayer and Monsanto and so, or, or the merger of biotech and pharmaceuticals uh, to the point where, uh, you know, even if there's this wonder bar drug that comes out, it doesn't have a chance in hell to make it through uh, the the really bought out uh, world of pharmaceutical mm. drugs and um, I wrote for uh, a publication called Microdose um, and they treated me very nicely there but I ultimately left because uh, we covered psychedelic therapy news um, the publication was based in Canada so they were more relaxed when it comes sure. to views on drugs mm-hmm. Um but a lot of times, you know, they would be sending me studies or, or, or news would break about uh, mental health being solved uh, and studied in a clinical setting uh, with the help of psychedelics. And they'd send me like a press release, like summarizing from a corporation branding um, the drug yeah, or the therapy yeah. uh, technique, uh, uh, telling, uh, telling me why MDMA therapy is um, so good for for folks with PTSD or whatever. And then I'd say, okay, I'm going to look at the study. Like I'm an academic. I have the JSTOR thing. And, you know, certain people would be like, no, it's all there in the press release, you know? 
And I was like, huh? And so uh, for folks like listening and watching at home, psychedelics uh, can bring about some therapeutic insight. But, you know, when we have people trying to make money off of solutions um, in, in pharmaceutical arenas, they will exaggerate. Um, how effective yeah. these drugs are and that's true for SSRIs not mm-hmm. a hater I mean that saved people's lives but I'm just saying you know some of these studies within psychedelics and also within psychiatric medicine uh, they uh, they're barely significant statistically significant over a placebo yeah. and they don't mention that part they just mention that uh, it made folks feel better at like the 12 week checkup yeah and so I think it's really important to uh get that neoliberal approach, that free market approach out of mental health. And um, Mm. while we're at it, education as well. Yes. Thank you, Ali. Yeah, like these strategies uh, are extremely subjective, depending like on an individual basis. Everyone's going to have different, um, different things are going to work for different people, right? Um, The medication that works for me might have a very adverse uh, effect on somebody else and, and, you know, vice versa. I'd love to hear more about like what you've been up to in the last year. Like, uh, I know you said that you just finished school and, um, I want to hear kind of where you, what trajectory you feel you're on with, you know, your activism, with your reporting, with what, how you're tying in all the things that you've learned in the field, studied, uh, 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 applied in real time. How are you? How is this all of this uh, culminating into the trajectory you're on now? Yes, thank you. Plan is, and um, and it's it's it it is in motion is to get my doctorate in educational policy. Mm. So I have my master's in educational psychology. Love that world. We'll continue to read and report and and uh, study news related to mental health crisis. Um, but I really want to fix things in uh, a political way. And I am starting with education. So I currently work, uh, like I said in the beginning of the interview, for the state. And we do education reform. Um, and we are helping with some of those material conditions, which has been like a, a theme throughout mm-hmm. this podcast. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, what I want to do is get my doctorate and do research that influences public policy. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, they call these people policy wonks or like politicos. But really, um, the academic researchers and professors because i do want to be a professor just like my father rest oh, in yeah. peace mm. he uh he really instilled that value of like teach uh and and you know you're born a student you die a student you know that's really i i love academia and i want to be in that world but i want to do research um on maybe the intersection of mental health crisis and uh educational policy or drug addiction and mental health policy mm-hmm. you know I, I i want it i want my research and the courses i teach and uh the textbooks i write the all of that to uh have public policy implications mm. um at best i would like to have my research 
um, be utilized in a think tank format, you know, um, in, in, in Washington, D.C. Um, but quite honestly, I do have ambitions to run for some form of office one day. Um, don't know what yet, I, uh, but I know I want to be a professor first. And, um, and along the way, I want to continue uh, reporting on these trends that I see. Uh, I've started using the word reporting more than uh, journalism or, or writing because um, I'm, I'm really enjoying the idea of uh, just like, see it, tweet it. Yep, present, you're just presenting information. Yep, yep. Yeah. film it. Like there's that labor strike not too long ago. It's just like, you know, there, there could be a lot to write about. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's quite easy to report on. You, you know, you click record or you just, you know, you, you summarize what's going on. And yeah. people can come to their own conclusions. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's my end goal is to uh, fight the good fight, mm. perhaps be a politician, but most definitely uh, continue to be in the world of public policy reform. And I'll always have a special place for education reform. If you find your niche, you find your niche, you know, and it sounds like you've um, really been uh, uh, setting that in stone over the years. Um, with education, with uh, research on how drugs, mental health, um, you know, class, mm. public policy, how these things are all intertwined. You get it. Yeah. Right there is, is, is my bread and butter. Dude, so that's fantastic that, you know, you have um, not only embarked on this journey, but that you, you're figuring, you're, you're working out how to apply it in real time, um, both in the short term and the long term, right? Mm. In the short term, as in like making folks aware of information, right. um, you know, learning and 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 educating in right. your circles, right. working and also like working with the kiddos one yeah. to one through the scholarship stuff. But but in the long term, mm -hmm. what is how are questions you're asking the research you're you're publishing or or what positions you might hold in the future how can those have a lasting impact on the communities and beyond right and so dude i'm that's that's fucking awesome man and uh i'm just i'm happy that uh you're out here fighting the good fight and that you're um pointing fingers to what's not right mm -hmm. what you said earlier that was uh about like you're you're always a student yes whether you're in school or not you're always a student you know knowledge is power i have two closing questions that i ask everybody that i uh uh you can answer however you want yes sir um first and foremost uh what keeps you up at night oh man <laughs> what keeps me up at night uh i foreign policy news I'm so addicted to political news, right? And um, because I like am a nerd about it and geek out about it, it sort of masks the doomerism. But something about like bombs and mm. uh, the situation in Ukraine, um, these things keep me up at night because I'm like, wow, it's fucking terrifying these, stuff. He said the end time. So yeah, for, for foreign policy decisions by corrupt actors. Yeah. On the other hand, what puts you to sleep? 
<laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I put buffered vitamin C powder in my water bottle, which is a big old Yeti, mm. and that uh, helps reduce acid reflux. Something that I've been working on for a while, and um, and then I uh, I uh, read and I drink that water and I get cozy, and that's what puts me to sleep is a is a book and some uh, neutralized acid reflux fighting water. Love it. <laughs> I know that's quite a uh, you know it's a the duality of those two questions often. Poses yeah, a yeah a lot of uh, different answers and it's the shit that like you know we struggle to wrap our heads around but also the shit that helps shit make sense right good point. um yeah acid reflux does fucking suck dude terrible for folks at home you can follow me on Twitter uh, in a political sense at Ali for Wisconsin. So A L I F O R W I. But if you're more interested in the, uh, drug and mental health related news, it's at Ali reporting. So Ali, A L I reporting. Hell yeah. Thanks. Ben, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show, dude. Yeah. This has been very dope. Right on. Thank you for watching Mr. Nice guy, everybody. Yeah. We'll see you next time.